0: DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SOS for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SOS only at DraftKings Sportsbook. <laughs> What's up sons and daughters it's Sam Jesse I'm back with the crew from the locks Saturday for week nine Brett Robert and Chris are on the line with me tonight fellas how are we feeling it's officially spooky season
1: spooky
2: spooky is this a uh is this a Braves World Series podcast I, I had no idea I, I, I thought I entered the wrong chat room here so I'm gonna go ahead and log off and go watch the Braves win the World Series this year
0: Braves World Series future is looking pretty good for me right now, but uh, Astros are scary in the postseason. Yeah, And you're also
3: failing to take into account the whole uh, Atlanta sports effect?
2: No, the DNA is in full effect, and I'm not 100% confident at all whatsoever, but uh,
0: I have to. You have to believe, right? Well, speaking of confidence, uh, Brett, you're someone who's probably feeling pretty confident about your picks against the spread on the show so far right now. You are sitting in first place still at 24 and 16 on the year. A solid eight games above 500. You went three and two last week. And then behind you is Robert and I sitting at 23 and 17. Robert at four and one last week. Very nice job. Yours truly at three and two last week. Um, And then coming up tied uh, in fourth place, Mike is at 18 and 22. Still a long ways to go to get above 500. Ed at 17 and 23. He had a big week last week, so he's coming up. And then Chris at 17 and 23. Chris, buddy, you're a whole lot cl- like Clemson football right now. You were at the top and then just didn't show up this year. Two bad
2: weeks and everything else has been three and two. So I'm trying everything I can. I'm scrambling right now. I, I feel like I'm, I'm desperately grasping at all straws to find some sort of angle,
0: some sort of vig that makes sense, but I'm a desperate man. Well, think about it this way. If you get back-to-back four-in-one weeks, then you're back at 500. I keep telling myself this,
2: and it keeps on not happening. I just have to hold and strain right now. I think that's what we
0: learned from Virginia Tech football, is you got to hold and strain. Uh, emphasis on the hold, and don't let it go away at the end. The but, reward uh, will come. And we'll, that's all you have to know. We'll talk about tech later. We'll talk about tech later. We'll we'll kick things off with two much better football teams but before that thank you everyone who is hitting us up on twitter for all the interactions for all the listens it's been amazing it's been so much fun we are really excited last week we covered two great games out west had me on the edge of my seat as better um so it's you know a lot of fun you guys ready get right to it
1: Get right to it let's all go right,
0: let's go Let's start it with the game of the week. A surprising top 10 matchup for this in-state rivalry. The Michigan Wolverines, the current reigning champions of the Pelt Belt. The Michigan Wolverines, they are traveling to our rivals, Michigan State. The Wolverines are four and a half point favorites. This game will be the big noon kickoff on Fox over under set at 52. Brett, you're our leader in the clubhouse. You kick us off.
1: This is probably one of the most anticipated Michigan-Michigan State games in recent history, if I had to say. The thing is that's funny about both of these teams is they're both undefeated. And they're, they both look really good, but both of them really haven't played anybody. Um, Michigan State beat Miami, but we see how bad Miami is actually, like I thought at the beginning of the year, but you know, we'll, we'll get past that at a later date. Uh, and Michigan beat Wisconsin, and we've seen how bad Wisconsin is, so. Other than that, these two teams really haven't played anybody. Rutgers played Michigan tight. Um, so But who knows what Rutgers, what team is going to show up, so it's kind of hard to gauge with that. Nebraska played Michigan tight, but Nebraska's looked a lot better in, la- in the last few weeks. They beat Washington, who lost to an FCS school. They don't look that great. MS, Michigan State beat Rutgers 31-13. I, these teams seem to be pretty even. But Michigan State also struggled against Indiana, who is god-awful. I mean, horrible. So it, this is this just feels like the making of just some Big Ten slobber-knocker fest, you know. It, it really does. But I think both of these offenses are bet, well, some of the best offenses they've had in the country. I mean, not in the country, sorry. They are not some of the best offenses in the country. This, some of the best they've had, both for each team in a while. Um, obviously, Kenneth Walker Jr. from Michigan State incredible running back, one of the best in the country, probably top three back in the country right now. Um, and Cade McNamara is just like the standard Michigan quarterback. It just seems like – but it seems like he's actually a little more efficient and can get the job done. So, for me, I think there's more talent on the Michigan side of the ball. Even though it's at Michigan State, I really like Michigan here. Four and a half points is a lot in a rivalry game, especially in the top ten matchup. But I think Michigan gets it done here. I think there's the more talented team. And I don't think that Michigan State under the, new, under the new regime that they have has the experience in a game like this yet to be able to close the deal here. And I think Michigan makes their statement to maybe try to push the playoff. But I think they're going to have trouble when they face Ohio State. So don't give them a little hope after this. But after that, I think it's going to be over for them. So Brett, where do you? Th- Sorry,
3: oh, you're good, Brett, where do you think uh, Cade McNamara ranks? Like as a quarterback in the Jim Harbaugh era, you know, you've got Shea Patterson and Joe Milton who were just so average,
1: like in the Jim Harbaugh era, he's probably in the top three. I mean, or maybe I like, I don't know who would be better. Shea Patterson. Okay. Joe Milton trash. I mean, Joe Joe Milton, I probably is going to leave Tennessee at this point. So.
0: Here's another way to ask it. Is this the best Michigan offense they've had since Denard Robinson?
1: Probably well, Denard Robinson was Michigan's offense, but yes. Yeah. What if Cade
2: McNamara untied his shoelaces and tried to run around like Denard Robinson? Would that
3: improve it?
1: Maybe. No? So we're
3: yeah. confirming that Cade McNamara will be on the cover of NCAA Football 22 when that comes out next year.
2: No, I t- t- untied shoe laces. Yes.
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I think, like you said, I think he's up there. He looks. I mean but it seems like it's always happens with Michigan quarterbacks. They look good for one year, you know, like Joe Milton looked good, you know, really he looked good for like half a year. Joe Milton would know, like, wow, this guy's legit. And then, you know, he just sucked after that. And then, you know, Shea Patterson, same thing, looked great for one year and then just did terrible after that. So, but I think Caden, I mean, right, they're hot right now. And I think they're just the more talented team overall. And like I said, I think with Michigan State, the new staff, I and mean, while they've walked into a um, – goldmine with Kenneth Walker I think they're they still aren't ready for this stage up
3: well as you guys know uh I'm not a big big 10 guy I just I abhor the big 10 actually <laughs> I just hate everything about it um I hate how overrated their teams are just I hate their style of football I hate all of it but I have to admit Sam said it this is the game of the week um and these do kind of seem to be two evenly matched teams. So I say it's the game of the week, not just because they're in the top ten, but it really is two pretty evenly matched teams. Um they run the ball well. Obviously, State has Kenneth Walker, uh, but Michigan has a pretty solid, you know, two-headed punch between Haskins and Quorum. They are also pretty solid on defense. Um they are fifth and sixth in the Big Ten right now in defensive efficiency, so pretty comparable. I would say Michigan. I would give Michigan the slight edge defensively. Um, I just think that they they cover the pass a little better, and it just seems that they're maybe just a, a hair better. But I am also a lot more confident Michigan State's offense than I am Michigan's. Um, I'm I'm pretty skeptical of Cade McNamara. Uh, my my answer to my question to Brett was. I don't know where exactly I'd rank McNamara, but it would certainly be below Shea Patterson and Shea Patterson really wasn't that good. So I don't really think McNamara has done anything impressive. Um, you know, he's only done five touchdowns to, with two interceptions. He's kind of more of a game manager. I mean, maybe that's all they need at times, but I think this game, they need a little bit more. Whereas Peyton Thorne, um, I just think he's he's a little better. He's a little more talented. If you, I'll put it this way. If you were putting the game in the hands of these two quarterbacks, I would trust Peyton Thorne a lot more to get it done. Um, Last week was definitely his roughest performance, but overall he's got a 15 touchdown to four interception split. Um, Michigan State has three receivers that have caught 20 or more passes this year, whereas Michigan has zero. They just have a more potent passing attack with Thorne. Um, But I think the real reason why I like Michigan State is Jim Harbaugh. Uh, His disappointments at Michigan have been, you know, much discussed, but what I want to focus on here is his track record in these ranked versus ranked matchups. So since taking over at Michigan, so since taking over at Michigan, he is seven and 10 in ranked versus ranked matchups between big 10 teams. So in these ranked conference matchups, he's seven and 10, uh, That's not terrible, but it's really not good, especially for a team like Michigan where, I mean, they have more money and a much larger recruiting budget. They bring in better recruits than, you know, the entire Big Ten outside of Ohio State and sometimes Penn State. They should be winning these matchups pretty easily um, against teams like Wisconsin and Michigan State and whoever else you could name. Um, So I think the trend here is to bet against Harbaugh in these high-stakes Big Ten matchups. So give me the points, give me the home team, And most importantly, give me the Harbaugh
1: L. I'm gonna chime in real quick, Sam. If Harbaugh, if Harbaugh loses this game and loses again to Ohio State, is he on the hot seat? I think he's coaching for his job in this game.
0: No, no. I mean, because if look, if he loses this game and he loses Ohio State, he has two top ten losses. And yes, that's bad. But if you look at, I think the over-under for Michigan wins was at like seven and a half this year. They were not expected to be you know, this you know. good or a playoff contender. So you're looking at a team that is playing so much better than I think they were kind of expected to granted. I think a lot of that's because Washington ended up being a dud and people expected them to compete for the PAC 12. No, I, I think it'll take a lot more for Harbaugh to be fired than what the national media thinks.
2: Michigan, like, think, yeah. From all and from what I've read in Michigan, like the high power donor base, they actually like Harbaugh. Uh, he keeps them relevant and I actually do think he might wear some sort of like moisture wicking uh, three pleated khaki pants so I don't know if his seat is actually capable of being hot so that keeps him protected as well so insulated pants and a, and a very supportive fan base the man is going to be there for a while as much as the national media might necessarily think otherwise.
0: You guys have been talking about how close this game is on paper, and I agree with that, but I think there's one area where Michigan has the clear advantage, and it's an area where a lot of these Big Ten games, these close, hard-fought Big Ten games, they come down to third downs, and that's where Michigan has a great advantage. Uh, Offensively, the Michigan offense is 10th in the nation on third and fourth down, converting at 51%. Michigan State defense, on the other hand, is 54th in the nation, giving up. About forty-one and a half percent conversion on that. So those—that's an area where Michigan can stay on the field, flip it to the other side of the ball. The Michigan defense is top twenty-five at number twenty-three, allowing just thirty-six percent conversions on third and fourth down. The Michigan State offense that has been pretty good this year has actually struggled on third down. They're only converting at about thirty-nine percent. That's ninety-first in the nation. So I think if Michigan can do what they've continued to do, control third down win that battle, stay on the field longer, get their defense off the field quick. I think Michigan can control this game a bit. They can control it enough to win close. Four and a half does seem like a bit of a, a lot of points, but I could definitely see Michigan winning this game by a touchdown, eight points or something like that. Michigan have been good against the spread this year, six and one against the spread this year. However, however Michigan is two and 11 against the spread in their last 13 versus the Spartans. So they have underperformed in this rivalry game historically. However, I think this Michigan offense is just a lot better than what we've seen in those past 13 matchups. So I'm going to go Wolverines in this one. I think they get, I think Harbaugh goes two for two on games that he needs to win this year so far. And I think they're feeling pretty good.
2: And Sam, you hit all the points on the offense, and I 100% agree. And I'm also on the Wolverines on this one. And and for me, it was mostly about the defense. Uh, So if you look at not only the strength of schedules to date and also the actual against the spread trends to date against those strength of schedules, you you look at them and you think, okay, um, both undefeated, who's been performing against the stronger schedule? That was the first thing I looked at. So Michigan right now. Uh, six and one against spread 23.4 points above margin of victory from the ravage point spread Michigan state five, one, one against the spread 15.6 points. So roughly about a touchdown worse in terms of total performance against the spread. Uh, and then you look at the strength of schedules Sparty 62nd out of 130 power five teams right now in Michigan strength of schedule 16. So to date, they value the strength of schedule of Michigan much higher than Sparty. So while we don't, excuse me, while we uh, previously talked about how the strength of schedule for both teams might be suspect, I I think Michigan State has just been, I'm assuming Michigan has been performing much higher uh, than expected against that schedule. And that proves out totally when I look at that simple, uh, excuse me, school ratings in terms of kind of how schools perform above par For their given strength of schedules and the margin of victory difference, right now Michigan still rated just below Georgia, and right in between Alabama and above Ohio State. uh, Second overall in the nation in terms of simple rating systems, twenty-two point six eight to Michigan State's. They're in seventh overall, sixteen point five nine. So overall in that index, obviously Michigan is the higher performing team. So. Uh, To me, the difference maker here is the reason they're able to do that is their defense. Uh, Their defense is second in the nation right now in terms of scoring defense, and that is what travels well. And if you think about it, they're not traveling very far in this rivalry. So I just, in this instance, with Mel Tucker being pretty new to the rivalry series overall, and you're starting to hear whispers about Mel Tucker, is he going to go to LSU? Is he going to go to some of these other high-profile jobs? If James Franklin leaves Penn State, can Mel Tucker, can the mini lines, He's going to start permeating all these coaching conversations. It's going to have an effect. Uh, so Mel Tucker, a high commodity right now in the hot seat coaching market in terms of replacements for these Blue Bloods. Um, so with that, a little bit of distraction. I think Michigan overall is a much more stable program because, as we talked about earlier, I don't think Harbaugh is going anywhere. Um, so give me the Wolverines on the road, uh, lay the points uh, minus four and a half. I
0: agree. I think they win by like a touchdown. Is college game day going to be at Michigan state? I didn't see that announcement anywhere.
2: If they aren't there. Wow. I mean, what, what other game
0: could they have? <laughs> I know, I know one, Barstool I'll will be there, yeah. but uh, I'll say hey, one last
3: thing. Yeah, I'll- they're there. They're at. Got they're
1: it. There. I'll say one last thing about this game is that I think the team that wins the turnover margin wins the game because both of these teams don't really turn the ball over.
0: That's a good point. All right. Well, let's go to out West night game in Provo, a revenge game. I don't think you can call it a revenge game. I think they left on good terms, but Bronco Mendenhall coach for university of Virginia makes his return to Provo, Utah to face BYU Virginia, who is and 6-2 on the season, is going on the road as two-and-a-half-point underdogs. The game will be on ESPN2 at 10-15 p.m. Over-under is set at a lofty 63-and-a-half. Brett, Virginia, they've played a very soft schedule so far. However, they have looked wildly impressive offensively. Defensively, they suck. But offensively, wow.
1: Yeah, I mean, hats off to them. They've looked absolutely fantastic. I mean, they've well, losing the UNC and Wake, I mean, probably similar matchups. I mean, Wake's, I think Wake's looked way better than them, so I think that was a guaranteed loss. I mean, they, they've lost they've won some close games, though. I mean, Duke, obviously, the thrashing of 48 nothing.
0: They won on two missed field goals.
1: Yeah, I mean, Miami, Louisville, and then last week they almost blew against Georgia Tech. So this team is very close to not being 6-2. and two. Don't want to discredit them, though, because they have looked... Way better than their counterparts to our south. So, can't right,
3: just... but if they if they have if they're playing capable kickers, they're four and four.
1: Yeah. No, Again,
0: no, no. they've looked better than their counterparts to their south.
3: Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. I'm not countering that point. Let's, let
2: Let's define that for the audience who might not be familiar with the I eighty one corridor. Virginia Tech. They are better right now than Virginia Tech. Let's just say it out there. Let's speak it into existence.
1: Yeah. And so, like, I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, be unbiased, like, just because of UVA. I mean, they are two field goals away from, you know, big four and four. But, I mean, their defense sucks, and their offense is obviously hitting on all cylinders. Um, I see people saying they have some of the best wide receivers in the country. I mean, or the core, I guess. Maybe not draft-wise they have the best, but the core right now is gelling really well. Brennan Armstrong, they said he's the next Steve Young. I'm not going that far, but he looks, he looks closer to that than what I said, he was he, what I said he was going to look like at the beginning of the year. But, uh, guys, I, BYU lost at home once this year. It's not going to happen again. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's not going to happen again. Don't bet against the BYU Cougars and Provo. Don't bet against Jesus, for sure. Um, different time zone Virginia, they're always in the eastern time zone. They're going up into the mountains, into the, mountain, into the mountains, and they're going to face BYU. I just don't see it. BYU's... Offense has looked okay, averaging almost 400 yards a game. They look not like they used to. You know, they, they hit on all cylinders, especially with Zach Wilson. But I think this is the best defense, one of the better defenses UVA is going to face this year. Right? Well, as of right now, and also the one of the better offenses they've faced. I mean, they faced Wake Forest and UNC, but I mean, Miami's offense is not that good. Louisville's offense, yeah. Duke's offense, obviously, is not existent. Georgia Tech, eh, their defense, their, all these teams are putting up points, and I think BYU is going to be able to put up the points, and I think their defense is going to get enough stops versus Cavaliers. I mean, if they can get pressure on Brandon Armstrong, I think it's pretty clear it's going to be um, who can win the game. So I like BYU at home. I don't think they lose again at home, especially for the Brandon Bronco, I almost said Bron- Brandon, Bronco, Mendenhall, homecoming. Uh, I like the Cougars here. Very small spread. Can we
2: just agree that in order to be the next Steve Young, you had to have played – because Steve Young was a BYU quarterback. You can't be the next person playing for a coach who once coached for BYU. It, it's not like six degrees from Kevin Bacon. You can't be associated with a coach from BYU to be compared to Steve Young. So let's find a UVA legacy quarterback that Brandon Armstrong reminds us all of, but not a BYU quarterback. I feel like that would be disrespectful.
3: Bryce
1: Perkins. I'll go I'll go ahead and say on record, I don't remember a quarterback being this good for UVA in a long time. Is he a more mobile match shop? I mean, what is he?
0: Well, we, we, we had to find the comparisons. He is. <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not just the red hair, but in college reminds me a lot of Andy Dalton. I mean, when Andy Dalton was on at TCU, he, that's kind of what he reminds me of. I don't know. I mean, he's, he can, that's i a watched a lot of UVA like football that. for work and he looks like what people wanted Andy Dalton to look like, you know, he's, uh, He's a really impressive quarterback. He he just is.
2: I know of a coach that developed Andy
3: Dalton. They might say so. I mean, just gonna throw it out there. So that means that the Hokies will know exactly how to slow Brendan Armstrong down. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. I property. I put
0: the tweet out there. Um, I don't want to focus on tech too much already, but um, I think Brendan Armstrong might have 400-plus yards on Tech if Tech is lucky. That's, that's all I'm saying. But, uh, Robert, your, your pick for this game, uh, it's a really close game. A lot of the analytical projections for this game have been one of the closest matchups of the entire weekend. And BYU is two-and-a-half-point home favorites. BYU hasn't been playing great football the last few weeks. Sam, I need you to say it. Never bet against BYU in Provo at night. What is it you do when you walk into Provo Utah? You don't walk out happy. Or you, you don't, don't walk walk win games. All. You don't win games. You, you don't You
3: don't win games in Provo Utah. You do not walk into Provo Utah and come out with a win. BYU you just is don't.
0: 14 and 1 in their last 15 at home.
3: You just don't do it. You don't. And as as fun as this whole uh Bronco Mindenhall Mormon homecoming is. I, I do think it is hard to gauge these types of non-conference matchups because there aren't any common opponents. Uh, but I am on the Cougars because you don't walk into Provo, Utah, and more importantly, I think the comparative uh, magnitude of the game, looking at both programs, I think that this game means a lot more to BYU than it does UVA. So if I'm UVA, I'm I'm wondering why I have to travel to Utah to play a game at 10 15 p.m my time in late October when I'm out here trying to win the coastal in a game that does not matter and does not help me do that whereas if I'm BYU I'm looking at a visiting former coach who literally left my program because he was bored and wanted a new challenge to take a uh he's he's been on record as saying like he went to UVA because they were a a program at a school that didn't really care about football and he wanted to turn him into a winner, this and that. I mean, he had it made in the shade of BYU, got bored, and went to UVA. If I'm BYU, I took that pretty personally. So I think BYU has a lot more to play for. And also, they are 4-1 and against Power 5 opponents this year. They've been playing a lot of Power 5 teams, mainly out of the Pac-12 uh, but they are four and one against those teams, four and zero oh against Pac-12. So I think that their defense—I think Brett touched on the defense a little bit. Uh, their defense, I think, they do enough to slow down Armstrong. Whereas UVA's defense will give up a lot of lot of points as they usually do. So I see BYU just barely covering the spread here at home.
0: I agree. I have BYU covering it just by a bit in a close game at home. We talked about how good BYU is at home, fourteen and one in their last fifteen. UVA, on the other hand, has been a horrible, horrible road team over the past uh, few years, four and sixteen straight up in their last twenty road games. So, looking at this game here, kind of as a pick'em, pretty much at less than a field goal spread. UVA is not a good road team. They capitalize at home. That's where they were good last year. That's where they've been good this year. Where they've struggled. At Miami didn't play well. At UNC didn't play well. At Louisville didn't play well. You're getting the picture here. They're not a good team outside of Scott Stadium. Another thing, a little bit more advanced analytics, and it's really my only point to this game. There's something called the echo ratio. The echo rate is basically how many quality drives you have as a team. So the echo ratio is how many quality drives you have as an offense or defense compared to quality drives uh, that the opposing that you give up, right? Uh, in that metric, UVA is 41st in the nation, so pretty good. But in that metric, BYU is 18th. And I think that's where BYU can win this game is just by simply controlling the pace of play a bit, controlling the ball, running it with Algier a lot. I think if they do that and keep Brennan Armstrong off the field, they're going to be able to score a lot of points on UVA's defense. UVA's defense is atrocious. It is a train wreck. They cannot tackle. They can't rush the passer. They are not good in the defensive backfield. I think BYU can score enough points to hang with Brendan Armstrong because he will put 30-plus up on the board. I love the over in this game. I don't care what the number is. Over in this game, and BYU wins it close, but BYU wins it. Oh, and just another point about Brennan Armstrong real quick before we go to Chris's pick. Kenny Pickett is having Heisman talk right now, and deservedly so. He's had a phenomenal year. Brennan Armstrong has thrown for 1,000 yards more a thousand yards more this season
2: question how many what, what's the difference in attempts I can look that up before they oh, but, okay, anyway, but
0: I get that but a thousand yards
2: that's a lot of yards in but if it, the difference is like a massive amount of attempts we'll do it I, I love volume stats just because you know that sounds what's awesome stats, when people.
0: but what's that they're bad it's a bad stat but yeah. it's also just kind of wild
2: so for me, when I look at this game, I think of the road home difference in UBA, You guys all hit the nail on the head. Uh, and just in terms of what you're looking at for Brennan Armstrong and what the defense is in terms of the ability to travel to Provo, Utah, to be able to try to keep this game close. Um, and then you look at who they played on the road to date and the difference of the type of road opponent they have normally played versus this road opponent. It's a whole different class. Um, and. Sam, if you got the number to
0: throw it in there, I, I, just just pepper it in, well, um, in Brennan Armstrong has attempted three hundred and seventy-two passes. Kenny Pickett has attempted two hundred and forty-four.
2: That's that's that, why that that that's a big number difference in attempts. So we'll we'll go ahead and log that for what it is. Um, all right. So for me, uh, Brendan Armstrong, he's logging about 10 more attempts uh, on the road this season. And that's for good measure, just because UVA's defense does not travel well. And they end up usually giving up some sort of large margin. And, and then they have to battle back. And the reason that their overall winning record this season, 6-2, and two, I believe, on win-loss on the season, is because they have benefited massively from some just either A, opponent collapses, or in, in terms of like missed field goals. Um, or, or some kind of like weird kind of like fourth quarter decisions overall from the opponent team. So they've actually benefited a lot from what I would consider like luck index on, uh, on overall on the season. Um, so I looked at just what what this line is, and this is the number. It is BYU as a home favorite minus two and a half. We've already talked about how home favorites are doing really well overall on the course of the season. But if you look at plus two and a half, assuming going to be minus two and a half for BYU, you're basically picking a win-loss spread. I don't think this game is won by BYU by less than a field goal, uh, just because of the nature of the uh, the offenses and defenses in play. And overall, since 2016, which is when, um, what is it, Franco Mendenhall left uh, BYU, and Kalani Satake, I believe, was the new head coach that took over. Home favorite. BYU win-loss, you talk about they don't lose at home and you've made some spreads, but what do you think it is since 2016? 2016. Percentage-wise, don't even give me a number. Just give me
0: percentage. 80%. uh, 80%, North of 80%. 90.
2: 90. 90.3% at home as a home favorite. That, that to me, is the number that you're betting on in this game. Don't look at anything else. Is it guaranteed to happen? 9.7% chances is a no. So... We're trying to give out winners here. This is the winner to me. 90 point, excuse me, 90.3% win loss straight up as a home favorite. It's at two and a half point spread. So you're basically picking a straight up win. Go with the Cougars. Go with the trends. This is a team that's not necessarily getting a lot of love because they play as an independent and they're not Notre Dame and no one pays attention to them because they play a lot of Pac-12 and late Mountain West type opponents. And yet, if they were an East Coast
0: team, we'd be talking a lot more about BYU. Something else to throw in about Brendan Armstrong. Yes, he drops back. Um, he has the second most pass attempts. Anybody in the uh, in Division I or in FBS, I guess. Who's the first? Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Mike Leach. So there you go. It's not a winning strategy, folks. Throwing the ball
2: all over the field does not necessarily guarantee you
0: wins. Yeah, the top three, court, the top. Three quarterbacks are playing for Mississippi State, UVA, and Western Kentucky. Um, fourth on that list is Carson Strong at Nevada. is playing pretty, pretty well, not great. Tough loss against Fresno State. I won that bet, by the way. Um, last thing on Brennan Armstrong, uh, he has been sacked 22 times this season. That's tied for seventh most in the country. So even with that escapability, they are having some trouble protecting him. Um, obviously, yes, a ton of dropbacks, a ton of pass attempts, but think think about the
2: rushing difference in this as well.
0: Rushing yards
2: at home, UVA 168.4 on the road, 79 yards. That's not going to get it done. They're not a good
0: running football team. Even at home, they're not good. Most of that comes from Brennan Armstrong at home. Like I said, 160.8 to 79 is a big disparity,
2: but Um, 79 yards and getting it done on the road
0: in Provo. Well, from one dynamic offensive team to another, the Ole Miss Rebels, top 10 in the country still, 10th in the country. They are three-point underdogs at number 18, Auburn. Auburn playing at Jordan-Hare Stadium is a much different team than Auburn playing on the road. And I think that's why they're three-point favorites in this game right here. This game will be on ESPN at seven o'clock the over under is at 66. Brett, do you have faith in Bo Nicks?
1: No.
3: <laughs>
1: no. All right, next person. Here Just, we go.
0: End, no. end, of, end of segment. Just and, move and,
1: and, on. And, and, no. <laughs> you know, guys, uh, Mississippi last week, I don't know why they only got nine points at home. I mean, Jesus, Ella Susan, has a coach that's thinking about, let's say, extracurricular activities as he thinks about retirement so I'm only getting nine points at home against them when they're firing at all cylinders is what's insane to me. You know, I don't think going into Auburn at Auburn anymore is what it used to be. I just don't right now, especially compared to what it was maybe five, ten years ago. I don't really think it's going to affect Lane Kiffin and this offense and Matt Corral, Matt Corral, I think should be the highest winner right now. I think he's just look, I think he's just looked the most complete out of any player in the country. I think if you put, Matt Corral this is how I always the Heisman nowadays you know it's about the flash and it has to do with the team and all that kind of has so many extra extra portions to it but I think if you put Matt Corral on any team in the country I think he makes a difference like winning and losing games especially for teams that are winning losing games by a touchdown or two I think he gets it done for a lot of these those teams and I think he gets it done here I think them being, I think obviously they're getting the points because they're playing at Auburn, and is that deserved? I don't know. I, I don't. I think Auburn has looked better ever after they played Penn State. I will say that, but Bo Nix might look like a hero, but he also might look like an idiot. That's just the nature of Bo Nix and Brian Harson. So for me, I'm I've bet with Mississippi almost all year. The only time I they lost when they played Alabama, which was stupid. I should have done that anyway but I bet with them all year, I'm going to keep riding it here. Matt Corral, Lane Kiffin train. Um, I like the running Rebels here.
0: I mean, what are we doing here? Well, first off, I'm pretty sure the running Rebels are UNLV.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't run. They're just Rebels. They They don't run. Shoot, Yeah, sorry. Just the Rebels.
0: Don't disrespect Nevada, Las Vegas like that. They're trying their hardest in football this year.
2: To win. they're doing their best to disrespect themselves because they are they're so bad.
0: Their uniforms are great, they are trying. They should have beat San Jose State. I was so mad, I stayed up yes. all night to watch them win.
1: Who's their coach? Isn't it somebody? It's an old D. Um, he's he's a younger guy, I think. Um, that's all right. You keep whoever's next. Go ahead.
3: I ask again, what are we doing here? Like, there are so many reasons why Ole Miss is a better football team, and I don't really know where to start. Uh, I guess I'll start with the low-hanging fruit, which is quarterbacks. Uh, So the difference between Matt Corral and Bo Nix is astronomical. You're looking at 13th in pro football focus versus 64th, a Heisman candidate versus his only association with the trophy being his college and his first name. And you're looking at a first round prospect versus a future marginal XFL starter in Bo Nix. I, I mean, Bo Nix isn't good and he never has been. He had one good game against Oregon. He's not good. He's not good. Matt Corral is very good. Olmis is very good offensively. Uh, I would like to point out that in our locks of Saturday group chat at the beginning of the year, I said, if Matt Corral wins the Heisman, I will eat my shoe. And I, I would just like to point out that I like my shoe medium rare. Um, just just defense, say who
2: picked him as a dark horse.
3: Say it. Chris did.
2: Thank you very much. And you're welcome. And for anybody who did not cash in on that, I'm sorry.
3: And it looks like Chris just watched the Braves do something awesome too. So he's feeling pretty good right now. Um, but Auburn's defense, I do think Auburn's defense is, is better than Ole Miss's. Um, but I think that they're still middle of the road in the SEC at best. So I don't really see any way for them to slow down the Rebels as much as they would need to. And on top of it all, I mean, Ole Miss is three-point underdogs.
0: This is crazy. I, well, I just don't. Robert, what Explain I'll, it to me, Sam, please. Well, here's what I'll say. Last week on this, on this very podcast, what are we doing here, guys, was said about four times about why Clemson was underdogs at Pittsburgh. And you all took Clemson. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Throw out the logo and throw out the orange britches. And Clemson's not a very good football team this year. Pittsburgh smoked them. Same thing here. Like I if you look at this, Auburn is a better, well-rounded football team. Yes, Matt Corral is going to be the best player on that field. But Ole Miss defensively is atrocious. They're 101st in EPA per pass and they're 116th in EPA per rush. Ole Miss on the road, three and nine straight up in their last 12, while Auburn 14-3 14-3 and three in their last 17 at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And in now, this Sam, rivalry... Sam,
3: I do have to cut in real quick. Yes, I got to yes. throw this out there before you before you continue your point. Ole Miss is my lockiest lock of the year. I am locking in Ole Miss plus three. Call it a super extra mortal lock. This is a lock, lock, lock. Do
2: we, do we get another sound bite to define that type of lock? Because... Super mortal lock is like a different class of lock. It can't be a banking Like this needs to sound like somebody like Scrooge McDuck jumping into the vat of coins kind of lock. Like that's the type of lock the Ruby just
0: announced. So. If that's what you want, he asked, <laughs> for, for, asked for a, a duck noise last week. He got a duck noise.
1: so A duck know, and boy. a banking cha-ching. Or a sound time. bite from an actual bank robbery that's taking place.
2: yeah just 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 pause the podcast and play like five minutes from the movie heat and that is the type of lock that we're doing here
0: right now well apologies to anybody who's never watched heat you're in the wrong well in this matchup they play every year in the sec west auburn's won the last five of these games and they've won eight of the last 10 auburn owns ole miss they're a better team when ole miss has to play a team that's going to be physical at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, they lose. We saw it against Alabama this year. We're going to see it again against Auburn. The game total for this is at 66. Um, actually, I would take under in that one. I think Vegas is trying to get a lot of people on some really crazy old Miss lines. So I think I would go under on this one. Uh, Six of seven of Auburn's games have been under that 66 mark. The only one that was over was the Akron game that had 70 points in it. And that's because Auburn scored 60 of them. I like the under in this game, something like 31, 27 Auburn, really close, really, really close. But again, I would feel much more confident as a better betting Auburn at home against a team that's not good on the road and not good defensively. than I would betting Ole Miss to go into Auburn and pull off the upset it's just uh I see it happening I see it for Matt Corral but I just think Auburn is the safer bet and I think Auburn's gonna end up winning this football game and kind of shaking things up uh as we've seen all year I let out a big exhaustive side
2: Can we, can we can we enhance that with sound and and the uh, the industrial
0: light and magic of this podcast? Do we have a, the reach of it? Uh, I can I can increase the decibels on that side. Yeah, that's the honest. decibels. Great, because yeah. that's the side
2: I'm taking right now. Picking Auburn in this game as the guy who has Matt Corral, the performative Heisman dark horse candidate, and has money on it. And here's the thing: it's a night game at Auburn, and for me, this came down to. Who are the two teams uh, that essentially Auburn has looked pretty pedestrian against this year? And it's been Penn State and Georgia. Penn State being at, on the road in Georgia, who essentially is just annihilating everybody this year. Um, defense. Defense is going to be the key indicator in this game. Bo Nicks is not great, but Bo Nicks against a suspect defense is serviceable. And the overall Auburn team as a whole – they're a good home team under Brian Harson. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying into them overall, but I think that they're just competent. And I do think that this is going to be the type of game where they're on the road and Lane Kiffin is just going to be gambling on every single play, especially on third and fourth down. Um, we saw that happen against when they played Alabama. They just kind of threw all of their chips into the middle of the pile every single play. And Auburn just they're a really solid defensive team. Um, they're a top 20 defense overall in accordance with PFF and overall. Um, and I just it's the non-sexy pick by taking Auburn at home against what everybody loves right now, which is the story of Matt Corral just putting up video game numbers and Lane Kiffin just dialing up every single amazing offensive play in the moment, and everybody's putting their chips on to Ole Miss this week. And I'm with Sam, I'm just going to zag completely take Auburn at home. And to me, the the biggest thing is, it's just, I do think that Auburn just overall has the better defensive program strategy to slow down Ole Miss just enough. And then Ole Miss has no defense at all whatsoever, of which Auburn has the better overall offensive approach. This is going to be one of those non sexy SEC night games. And don't get me wrong, people forget weird things happen in two SEC stadiums at night. One of them is LSU, and the other one is at Auburn.
0: Chris, you've so been, never count that out. Chris, you've been really high on Matt Corral. Um, just a quick question. Yeah. Who does he project as in the NFL right now, in your mind? As a type of quarterback? Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of like a poor
2: man's Kyler Murray, in my opinion, because he has that kind of overall game. Uh, he is what people projected Johnny Menzel to be, and that I hurts. think without the, the the random type of off-field issues that have been well documented at this point, I don't think he has an NFL doppelganger per se. Um, just because he's he's not necessarily like a like a um, you know uber athletic large, kind of like, you know, like a thick body kind of guy. So I don't know if he's the guy that can take a lot of hits. He's not a true runner, but he's not a true passer. He's just kind of a person who can kind of wing it around and get things done. He reminds me of like a poor man's Brett Favre. And and that's honestly what I think. So he's going to be able to get into one of these kind of newer, kind of modern offenses in the NFL. And if I'm a, I mean, I looked at the latest NFL mock draft, and right now he's, I think, the number one quarterback taken in 2022 right now overall. So top 10 pick as well. Sorry, Kenny Pickett and your two gloves. I don't know if that strategy is going to work out well for you, but Mackerel to me, if I'm an NFL team taking a flyer on offensive talent, I'm probably going to take Macarel.
1: I'm pretty sure Mel Kuyper just released his new quarterback rankings and I'm pretty sure Kenny Pickett is number one.
2: <laughs> well, if, if Mel Kuyper said it, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> well, Exactly.
1: I just had to play devil's advocate there, but I agree with what you had to say.
0: And hey, yeah. if you if you want to watch Kyler Murray or some of those you know, high-powered, new-spread NFL offenses, especially ones we've seen this year, Joe Burrow with Cincinnati is looking scary. For my Browns, that's going to be two tough matchups later down the road. It's been a great start to the NFL season, and it gets better with DraftKings. DraftKings, you can bet just $1 on any game this week, and you can receive 100 and $50 of free bets instantly when you opt in, no matter what. You can swing big for the fences like the Braves are doing right now against the Astros with same-game parlays. Parlay multiple gets from multiple bets from the same game for bigger payouts. It's amazing. It's so much fun. DraftKings does a great job of having as many alternate lines, as many alternate game totals as you can possibly imagine for college and NFL games. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable site. And the best part is you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want.
3: Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code SOS to receive $150 in free bets instantly when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code SOS to get $150 in free bets instantly. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Virginia only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline at 888 532 3500.
0: All righty, fellas. Let's get to some G5 action. Let's go down to the Lone Star State of Texas, a big game in the American Conference. One of the last times that we'll ever be able to say that. The Southern Methodist. Mustangs and sunny dykes are flying high. But they are one-point underdogs at Houston. This is a really interesting matchup. This is the de facto American West Division Championship game. Basically, the winner of this gets to play Cincinnati at Cincinnati at the end of the year to determine the winner of the conference. This game is very, very close on paper. The spread. Basically, a pick-em at plus one for the road team of SMU. It'll be on ESPN2 at 7 o'clock. The over-under is at 62.5. Brett, two high-powered offenses, one decent defense, pretty good defense, I'll say, in Houston, and then one bleh defense in SMU. But that offense is so sexy from SMU.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, Sam, you've used, you've used some very – interesting phrases about the there was offense. some
2: r-rated language used about the uh, the enticingness the, the 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 beauty of the smu offense this week it's essence
0: it, it, it
2: not not it, safe for work there you go we're gonna put a tv ma
0: rating on this podcast look i everything i love smu's offense i i love the run and shoot it's my favorite
1: it is great Yeah, I mean, Tanner Mordecai, I mean, what do you think he's thinking right now about getting the heck out of Oklahoma and the quarterback situation they got going on there? He's probably like, well, I guess I'd have been jumped by Caleb Williams anyway, so I'm glad I got out of there. And it's a good thing he did because he's thrown 29 touchdowns this year already. I mean, absolute gasoline performances from him. But that being said, Houston's defense, best defense they faced all year by a long shot. Defense in total scoring defense is all is 14th, passing yards, 12th, rushing yards, 18th. I mean, they got a top 15 defense. And then obviously, total scoring offense, Southern rest of it. I'll say SMU, screw it. SMU, sixth, 10th in passing yards, rushing yards, 40th. Obviously, that's not their bread and butter with the running gun that they have going on. They're on horseback on the Mustangs, running and gunning it. That's what they do. That's what Tanner Mordecai does. And I think they get it done here. I think they're actually just the better team here. It's going to be really close. I mean, I'm seeing predictions all around the board, and they're all with within a field goal. But I think I like SMU with pretty much in a pick'em against Houston. Even though they're a, even though it's at Houston, I don't really know a lot about the fan base of Houston. All I know is that it's Dana Holgerson, and I'm not a Dana Holgerson fan. I don't believe in Dana Holgerson that much. That much, so I like uh, SMU here. I like Tanner Mordecai, I think their offense is fun to watch. Um, It's a good thing that Cincinnati – Cincinnati does not play them, correct? They play Houston, but they do not play SMU.
0: Uh, No, they play – I believe they play SMU and not Houston. Oh. Yes. They play SMU and not Houston. If SMU wins this game, college game day is going to go to the game from Cincinnati-SMU. Yeah, because I remember that.
1: Well, I want to have a future on Cincinnati making the playoff, so I'm a little scared if SMU wins this game. I will say that that will keep me on my toes, but – Like I said, still like Tanner Mordecai, the better quarterback. I think they're actually just a little more talented team. They're hot. Houston hasn't really played anybody. Southern Methodist hasn't really played anybody either, but Houston really hasn't played anybody. Um, I like the Mustangs here.
3: Yeah, the majority of the locks of Saturday have money on Cincinnati making the playoff. So let's just throw that. I think think the number is four out of the six of us have it. So uh, anyway, I am... Not as knowledgeable about the AAC as some of y'all might be, you know, hand up. I'm not an AAC guy. But I I do, in my limited knowledge, I find it difficult to understand why SMU is an underdog. Even if it's just a point, I, I don't get this. I don't really understand what Houston has done to justify this line. Uh, they haven't really done so in my eyes. Um, I know that their defense is definitely better, especially for AAC standards, where it's typically a higher scoring league with the exception of Cincinnati. Their offense just isn't that great, whereas SMU looks very good. And Tanner Mordecai, he has quietly been one of, if not the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, I don't think enough people are talking about him. I think if he were playing for, you know, a different team, he might be getting a little more buzz. And granted, that's just what happens when you play in the AAC, I suppose. Uh, but his numbers are right up there with the um, Bryce Youngs and Matt Corrals of the world. Uh, but I, I am really looking at that, that matchup with Cincinnati for SMU. Uh, that's November 20th. Uh, SMU travels to Cincinnati on November 20th. Um, and I, I think that that game will be a battle of undefeated teams. Um, so in what is basically a pick here, I'm riding with SMU. They're the better football team, better offense all around. I just, I'm on it.
0: I'm going to go against you on this one. I'm gonna go with the home team. Uh, is Houston the toughest place to play a football game? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you that defense has been really, really impressive for Houston so far. A really interesting matchup is the SMU passing game versus the Houston passing defense. SMU is number five in EPA per pass this year as an offense. Houston's defense is number five in EPA per pass defense. So you're looking at strength on strength in this. So it should be a really good game. I think the issue with SMU where it falls apart is defensively. They are 105th in EPA per pass defensively. And that's not a good sign because Houston's a team that not only likes to throw the ball, they have very good running backs, uh, but they like to throw the ball and they like to throw the ball early. Uh, their early down rush rate for Houston. So rushing the ball on first and second down is below 50%. So you're looking at a team that will push the pace and they will throw early in downs. Uh, Houston is 65th in the country in EPA per pass. So they're pretty middle of the pack, but I think that'll be good enough to capitalize on SMU's bad pass defense. Houston again is the number five EPA defense in the country They have been phenomenal where they've been the best is on third and fourth down. They're the number one third down defense in the country. And I think that will be the difference in this game again. I could see this being a high scoring game. I like Houston's backfield and their ability to run the ball in the fourth quarter. I think that'll make a difference here. Uh, It's not going to be about establishing the run in in any means, but it's going to be about finishing with the run. And I think that's something that Houston can do that SMU can't. So if this is a close game, and a team needs to stay on the field and control the clock, I trust Houston to do that at home much more than I do SMU. I like Houston in this game, minus one at home.
2: Yeah, so when I looked at these from unusual kind of measuring tools that utilize PFF, just looking at overall team value and then looking at the strength of schedules, and there is no really equatable kind of – Breakout between each team because the strength of schedule to date for both programs is pretty awful. As all of you laid out there, there's just, there's no way to determine which team is actually going to be better against competition than the other, because it's just been that bad. Um, so for me, um, I have to go with the offense on this standpoint, because I, I, I agree with Brett. I don't trust Dana Holgerson overall. I just don't think, um, by the way, that's a mouthful. Like, can I just call him Dana, or like 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 that? That is a rough name to say. Over, we get who over you're talking about. Like I have Dana. to have like some like peanut butter or some like marbles in my mouth in order to say it correctly. But Holgerson is just too much. Anyways, um, the SMU offense is just legit, and I think that's all just completely a part of what Sonny Dykes represent as a head coach of SMU. And you look back at his track record, and he is just a born and bred. Texas area head coach who knows how to get the best out of Texas area players. And with this ties to that overall Texas region, because he's from there, he's actually a baseball player. People don't uh, know much about him. Um, And he's considered, I don't think even close the number one option to replace, uh, I think it was Matt Wells was just fired uh, recently at Texas Tech. And he does, I believe, have family ties to the Texas Tech program from a coaching standpoint. Um, This could be a point where uh, this is the thing that gets him to a much higher level of national attention, puts him completely in the runners, uh, assuming the, the driver's seat to get that Texas Tech head coaching job going forward. But the man knows how to win in Texas. Um, he did it before. I believe it was at um, before he was at Cal. And I think Cal really put the bad taste in people's mouth because he went out west. He tried to instill his system. It didn't work out there. It's tough because obviously you're at Cal. It's a much different type of program to recruit offensive kind of like overall talent to overall and to keep a sustainable program winner. Um, Aaron Rodgers aside uh but it, it's just a different program to come out of the state of texas and going to i think he won previously at louisiana tech he did a pretty good job there because it's really hard to win at louisiana tech it's not necessarily a, a good foundational program um but in smu around the dallas area you can get athletes you can recruit people to come to you and then getting tanner mordecai this season was just the ultimate kind of ability for him to find the quarterback to run his system it's the perfect conglomeration right now i do think that they uh, beat Houston here. And I think this is the team that gives Cincinnati the run for the money. I, I, I said it, I, I think on the Slack, uh, not was it yesterday, but a couple of days prior that the Cincinnati SMU game to me is the scheduled date where college game day should be there and they should make plans for that because I I love the potential of that game. So I want to speak it into existence by picking SMU in this game by making them win this game outright just because I want that game to happen
0: and have the stakes be as high as they could be with SMU facing Cincinnati.
2: So I would, I'm I taking would love, the
0: Mustangs. I would love to see that as well, but life rarely works out that well, and that's points Houston Cougars for me. But I still think it'll be a big game. Uh, but this is definitely a really interesting game because it could be so high scoring. Um, if the Houston pass rush doesn't quite get to Tanner Mordecai, I think this could be a... We could look at a game that the game totals in the 70s or possibly even in the 80s.
2: There's just no point in this game where I feel like SMU can't score. I will.
0: And that's fair enough. Fair enough. Well, if they don't have the ball, then they won't score. And that's that's got to be Houston's game plan. Well, fellas, we've reached that time of the podcast. Uh, there will not be 70 total points scored in this game. Virginia Tech, plus three and a half. Traveling to Atlanta to play Georgia Tech. These two teams have played really competitive, have had a really competitive series over the past about decade. It seems like the games are usually pretty close. Georgia Tech, not with that triple option. Virginia Tech hasn't faced Georgia Tech post-triple option as much as you know they kind of thought because they didn't play last year due to COVID. Virginia Tech coming off another heartbreaking loss where they were up by greater than seven points. Very very late in the game and, and somehow lost it this time up nine, with about two minutes left and, and still lost it. Excuse me, there with two forty one left. Can the Hokies bounce back and win this game? It's pretty. It's a pretty gone conclusion that Justin Fuente will not be the head coach next year. I think everybody can agree on that point, but. I don't really know if that's how the team thinks. There's still a lot of football to be played. They're three and four. They're going to have to perform very well over the next five weeks in order to make a bowl game. Does it start here in Atlanta, Brett?
1: Um, well, where do I start? That's the question. Have the has Virginia Tech found their running back? Sure seems like it, Malachi Thomas. What a performance like I got last week. Sure seems like the defense the one that dropped the ball last week, especially towards the end. I'm going to sh- shudder as I say that, but that seems like what happened. Um, getting the points at Georgia Tech and Atlanta. Last time I played Atlanta, we held them scoreless. When that team wasn't – I didn't even think that good. Um, but I, I'm pretty much having the same reaction I had last week. I don't see it. Give me Georgia Tech. I don't really have much to say. It's over guys. It's over. I think it's time to move on and call I, I hate saying quitting cuz I don't I'm not, I don't like quitting, but let's just call it off, call the dogs off, let's just move on. it can be Georgia Tech at home. That's it.
3: Yeah, and I mean it's hard to sit here and try to rationalize. Oh yeah, Tech will play better next week. Like why, why should we think that? I don't. Um, and you know, there's a myriad of reasons why I could pick Tech to lose Saturday and in pretty much every game remaining except Duke. Duke, Duke really sucks. Tech, Tech looked bad, but Duke is terrible. Anyway, uh, but I think the real reason why I think Georgia Tech will will win and cover this spread um, is I think that. Virginia Tech's defense, I don't necessarily think that last week's performance against Syracuse was a one-off. I know that we've hyped up Tech's defense a lot, at least leading into the Syracuse game, but I do think that what that game exposed was um, some real weaknesses that Tech has defensively, especially up front. Um, Tech's front seven I guess you could really call it a front six since they run a four-two-five. 2 five. Uh, But regardless, the defensive linemen and linebackers, they lack af- superior athleticism. And they're, if you look at Tech's losses, all along the way, <clears throat> all along the way, you can find um, a talented playmaker for the opposing team that has made an impact in the running game which is where that front six is most important. So if you look at West Virginia, Letty Brown had 161 yards and a touchdown. Against Notre Dame, Kyron Williams, 81 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Buckner, the quarterback that came in for Notre Dame, 67 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Against Pittsburgh, Israel Abanaconda had 140 yards on the ground. And the worst of it all, Last week, Syracuse, Sean Tucker, 112 yards and touchdown, Garrett Schrader, Syracuse's quarterback, 174 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. Tech has struggled to stop the run against players that are more athletic than the front six are. I'm not going to name specific names on the defense and call guys out because that's not what I'm about. But as a whole, the unit just lacks that speed and that quickness um, to keep those guys from making big plays. And Georgia Tech has a couple of those guys. Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs are special athletes. And say what you want about Jeff Sims and his uh, poor decision-making as a passer. That's an aside. Jeff Sims runs the ball really well, and Jameer Gibbs – Jameer Gibbs is one of the most special playmakers in the ACC. Um, I think that both of those guys will have huge games. If you look at some of Georgia Tech's better performances offensively, which would even be last week against UVA, their defense just was powerless to stop UVA, but offensively Georgia Tech played well. Jameer Gibbs and Sims combined for almost 200 yards on the ground. Same thing against UNC. They combined for almost 200 yards on the ground and four rushing touchdowns. Those two guys did. Um, I think this is going to be another one of those games for them. And I I see Georgia Tech really controlling the line of scrimmage here and uh, getting some plays.
0: You know, one thing you pointed out about the the linebacking core and the defensive line, I do agree there does seem to be a lack, but they would call in soccer a lack of pace. You know, there does seem to be a, you know, the other team just simply runs faster than the Virginia Tech defense does. and I, That doesn't bode well for this matchup at all. I, I, if you watch the game between Georgia Tech and UVA, UVA is maybe even a worse rush defense than Virginia Tech is, but those guys have speed. When they get in the open field, you are not catching them. I think one thing about the game last week is Virginia Tech's tackling just wasn't very good. Uh, guys who are usually really good sound tacklers like Jamari Connors didn't play well, and I think the, you know, the linebacking core has struggled for about a decade at Virginia Tech, if we're being honest, in just pure tackling at the point of attack. We talked about Malachi Thomas a little bit, and I think his impact, I don't think people understand how big his impact was, getting over 150 yards in really his first meaningful game time. Coming into the game against Syracuse, Virginia Tech was 116th in EPA per rush. After that game, they jumped all the way to 88th. That is a massive jump this late in the season after one game. And that's all because of Malachi Thomas. What he does as a runner is what made Khalil Herbert so good in this offense. Patience for a little bit, one cut, boom, direct. It's something that I think they wanted Jalen Holston to be able to do, and it just didn't seem to be working. Malachi Thomas fits this offense right now the best out of any back. I think he'll get 20-plus carries against a Georgia Tech defense that is horrific. They are really bad. Just some numbers. Overall, EPA, Georgia Tech is 104th. EPA per pass, they're 124th. I don't care how bad Braxton Burmeister has looked throwing the ball. Virginia Tech should be able to complete some passes against the 124th pass defense in the country. On third down, Georgia Tech has really struggled. They're 123rd in the country defensively on third down and on defensive success rate, which is basically at the end of the day on the drive, did your defense do their job, right? They're 119th in that, which means no. The rambling wreck of Georgia Tech's defense did not do their job. So I think when we talk about how much better Georgia Tech has gotten in terms of recruiting, they've gone better offensively. They still have a long ways to go defensively, in my mind, and from what we've seen this year. Offensively, though, talk about Jeff Sims. He's a really dynamic athlete. He's a poor passer in non garbage time scenarios. He does much better against a zone defense than he does a man scheme. So I think you'll see basically all man coverage from Virginia Tech. And he does have six turnover worthy plays, according to PFF, in just four ACC games. That doesn't sound like a lot, but those resulted in five interceptions. And when you compare that to Braxton Burmeister, He's only had five turnover, turnover-worthy plays all season. So I just kind of paint you the picture of Jeff Sims has been a little bit careless when he has thrown the football. Uh, he had an interception against UVA that was very, very costly in that game. Should have had two, but there was a pretty soft rough in the passer that was called that you know, allowed Georgia Tech to keep the ball there. At the end of the day, the Hokies are down bad. Right, guys? I mean, this, this is bad. They look really bad. But so is Georgia Tech, and I think Syracuse is a better football team than Georgia Tech. The Jackets gave up 636 yards to UVA last week. That's not a defense that has really any sort of pride in their play right now. And the only reason it was under 700 is because they had the ball for most of the fourth quarter because of onside kicks. Sims can run the ball, and I think that scares Virginia Tech, but he's much more turnover prone. And I think if Jermaine Waller can get back, which is a big if, but if he's back and healthy, I think that alleviates a lot of the struggles that Virginia Tech had in press man coverage that they struggled with against Syracuse. And I know this Virginia Tech offense is one of the worst in the country. It will continue to be one of the worst in the country, but with Malachi Thomas, I think they at least have someone who can make a play or two for them, who will keep this offense from stalling out time after time. I don't feel good about this. I hate it. But I think this is a game that Virginia Tech can at least get back in the win column. The fact that they're getting three and a half points, I think, gives me a little bit more confidence in this game that they can keep it to within at least a field goal if they do lose close. Give me the Hokies plus three and a half, and I'm taking this, I'm trying to bet the numbers, not the team. The numbers say Virginia Tech, but it is really tough to see them going on the road and winning right now, but I mean, they pick up, you know, they pick up one more first down and they end up beating Syracuse by nine points last week. And I think we're having a bit different conversation for this game. Chris round us out your thoughts on this matchup.
2: Yeah. So my evaluation started simply by looking at just to start the trajectories of each team. And so I know this isn't a live podcast where you can see videos, but Georgia tech at least seems like an offense and a team that's improving with young stars and Virginia tech seems like they're kind of not even just going over the cliff, but they're, 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 they're on the descent in terms of just overall where the programs are at. So let's take that into context because I feel like that's a big component of this game. And now after four games of trying to constantly trying to fine tune and figure out what they're doing, they're going on the road. And so you're taking a team that is inconsistent from a pregame preparation standpoint you're know, giving them a lesser day to go on the road to Georgia tech. And it's not going to be a hostile environment. You're not going to have a max capacity crowd at, um, I forgot the name of Georgia tech stadium. Is it Wallace? Yeah, I can't remember. What is it? Uh,
0: is it on Bobby Dodd? Bobby sure.
2: Dodd. Thank you very much. Yeah. Bobby Dodd stadium, um, which is more raucous for, I, I guess, the previous, uh, Atlanta United games that has ever been in Georgia tech football history, but, um, There'll be a good amount of Hokies there, even with there the losses. I think there, there will be some Hokies there. I do agree with that, but they are going on the road. So it's not going to be as, and the whole point here is as intensive when they went on the road against West Virginia. They're not going to face that type of road crowd. But to me, it's not necessarily about the crowd. It's about the preparation because this team is inconsistent when it comes to week to week. What can you expect from both phases of the ball? We've seen Justin Fuente kind of, focused more on the defense earlier on the season and in the offseason by running the scout team. And we saw a massive improvement in the overall performance of the defense. And then in the week where it's like, okay, you got to cut ties and concentrate on the offense. And now you see the defense kind of drop off as well, as well as injuries along the defensive front, both from starters like Jermaine Waller and then in the kind of the, uh, the two deep uh, that we've seen over the past few weeks. So I don't know what to expect from virginia tech overall as a product other than it's going to be inconsistent and so what parallels can i pull from the game that we just saw which syracuse is a good sound overall rushing program and this team they're facing this week georgia tech is another sound overall rushing program they might not get necessarily one for one like the syracuse running back to the georgia tech running back but the quarterback and running back production to the cornerback And running back production between Cuse and Georgia Tech is very similar. So to me, that is the difference in this game is I don't trust in a shortened week in terms of preparation for Virginia Tech to go on the road and come up with a winning game plan of which it will probably come down to a last-second type game, albeit this time on the road, not at home, to be able to win a game by a field goal or less, which is what this spread calls for. It's a plus 3.5 spread. Um, I wish I did. I just don't trust the staff to get them ready. Um, I do think they identified some improvements overall in the offense. Malachi Thomas. It's crazy because we heard all about him in the off season and it took until what is a week? What? seven eight in order to get them fully integrated in the offense which is insane even by itself you talked about them all off season as one of the better running backs and then you don't put them in the offense until week eight and it took justin Fuente to concentrate on offense to put him in the offense to me you're just kind of scrambling so virginia tech is a team that is scrambling for a strategy at this point georgia tech kind of knows what it wants to do it wants to continue grooming their quarterback running back tandem they want to continue improving overall as a program. They're going to continue under Collins recruiting and getting better as a program. So this, to me, is Virginia Tech is a narrow, and I almost wanted to try to use that plus or minus three spread here, but because it's the half point extra, we can't use it. It's a half it's point. It's a half point, point. It pushes it over the edge, but wow.
0: plus or minus three, point.
2: plus or minus three, we need to extend that to see what they are plus or minus four. I would love to see that. But plus I believe it's at
0: three. Two and thirteen straight up in game. I think it's two, Plus, two and fourteen.
2: Three. That might be good. Either way, excuse it's me, bad. It is bad when it's within a field goal. So,
0: yeah. And I'll I'll first ask two quick questions to you guys. We're not going to do any prop bets right now, but two quick questions for you guys. So, question number one: Is Georgia Tech a better or worse team than Syracuse? I'm going to say they're a worse team than Syracuse.
1: Worse. Yeah, I I think they're worse. I think they have I think they can be more dangerous, but I think they're worse.
3: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I th- but that's kind of why I think they're better is that I think that their ceiling, uh their athletic capabilities are higher whereas Syracuse, I think I won't say they're overachieving, uh but they're kind of, I mean, almost making a bowl game is probably the peak of what they're able to do. Whereas I think if you look at this Georgia Tech team a year or two from now, they could be really, really good. I agree with Derby. They have a higher ceiling
2: mm-hmm. right now. But me, overall, me, right now, they
1: are worse. Basically beat got beat last week by a guy that's like a worse Paxton Lynch.
2: Yep. Yep. I know I mean, a coach who coached Paxton Lynch. I've watched that. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case you want to come on.
0: Um, all right, second question for you guys. Virginia Tech currently, s Plus has Virginia Tech 44% chance to make a bowl game. That's win six games. If Virginia Tech beats Georgia Tech this weekend, goes to four and four, they have four games left. Those games are against Duke, Boston College, Miami, and UVA. Doesn't matter if they're home or road because none of those places really have an environment. At UVA will be a tough environment, I'll say that. But if Virginia Tech wins this week, Would you say yes or no, Virginia Tech makes a bowl game?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I think this is, you know, I think Duke is an absolute dumpster fire. They're terrible. I think Tech um, matches up really well with Miami, considering that they did lose their running back for the year. And I think Boston College is a bit of a fraud. I think we're giving them the mediocre stamp of approval just because it's Boston College. And I
1: don't. Oh, think I'm, I'm that. down on them after last week. That was a stupid bet by me last week. I'm sorry for anybody. That was bad. That was a stupid bet. Sorry.
0: Well, if you want to hear about more stupid bets, guys, uh, what's on your Week Nine card?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a couple. Hey, I'm still hitting fifty-nine percent this year. So I am.
0: I have not been doing well on my cards, but the last two weeks. I have been over five hundred. So thirty nine twenty
1: eight overall in the year. Keep going. Um, I like Notre Dame. I was three and a half against UNC at home at home against Notre Dame. Everybody thought that was gonna be a game of the year for the ACC, but obviously that's not how it's how it is. But I think Notre Dame's definitely better three and a half against the uh UNC right now. Sam Howe, I said it at the Beginning of the year, he was going to be thinking about the draft. If they lost three, two or three games before like halfway through the season, and it is so clear, he is pretty checked out. As is Ty Chandler. They are just ready to get the hell out of there and get to the and get in the draft. Um, Georgia minus fourteen against Florida. I think even if that, Florida. I think Georgia's good. I think Florida might not score any points. Their quarterback issues are really bad, so I think they might score like ten. Uh, I was plus three at Wisconsin. Interesting game. Don't look it up. What do you think the over/under is for that game? I already know. For what again? Uh, Iowa and Wisconsin. Seven. Negative ten, and that's
0: like the total points in the game. Well, talk about a game that I think we mentioned. I don't know if we were off-air, on-air, whatever. We were like, man, Penn State, Ohio State. How are we not picking that one? Because Penn State just lost Illinois, but. Iowa, Wisconsin. How is that not a top ten matchup? But
1: I think Wisconsin's still not that good. And I think Iowa mm-hmm. was a little fraudulent because their offense was is pretty bad. there was is pretty bad. But I think Iowa might hold Wisconsin to zero points or like three. By the way, the over under is thirty six. <laughs> that is ridiculous. that's
0: I really like Iowa plus three
1: as Iowa well. Two. And it's and it's at plus one hundred. I mean you're getting even yep. uh, Plus odds on it, and uh, I like Kentucky minus one at Mississippi State. Mississippi State stinks, not good. They're just getting po- they're just getting that wine because it's in Stark Vegas. I think Kentucky is not as good as people say they are, but I think they're way better than one point against Mississippi State. One,
0: I will keep it in the state of Iowa for one of them. Iowa minus seven at West Virginia. So I guess not in the state of Iowa, but I think we. After the Iowa game, everyone just stopped. started ignoring Iowa State. They still have played pretty well. I think they're going to win that game. Another one I have, early week action. ECU, only nine and a half point favorites against South Florida at home. ECU is going to run away with that one. This is another one, a big lock of mine. South Alabama, only minus nine at home against Arkansas State. Book that all day. Uh, Purdue, look, Purdue. I was riding you last week, Purdue. Right, and you looked good for the first quarter, and then you just you, you you Purdue'd it. I I don't know what to say. They're plus seven and a half at Nebraska. I'm gonna take a flyer on Purdue in that one. I already talked about Iowa State, uh, another road dog. TCU is plus three at Kansas State. I think TCU is. They they have a bounce back game. Gary Patterson may be coaching for his job, potentially late season hot seat.
1: I think he's retiring. I don't think he's gonna, I think if they're telling him he's gonna resign, he's gotta get fired. I think he's just gonna retire.
0: Mm -hmm. I like Iowa, I like Kentucky, but my best bet of the week, Irby, you'll like this one. Number one bet of the week, Cleveland Browns minus three and a half
3: versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would take that bet. I'm a Steelers fan, and I will take that bet.
0: Browns on Halloween. I wish it was a night game. I really, really wish it was a night game. It's going to be a 1 o'clock.
1: Hold on. We're not even talking about the most important thing that's coming next week. We're not even talking about it yet. Do you guys know what starts for a week from today? On Tuesday night? It is action Starts Tuesday night. Ooh, baby. It's going to be return of the Mac, baby. This is when college football is at its peak is when you have college football five days a week.
0: Yeah, it's, it's truly remarkable. We will be doing something special for that. We haven't finalized it yet, but we will do something special for action because it's just so great.
3: Oh man. So I think that looking at my, my, uh, other picks here, I think, at this time of the year is when that coaching uh uncertainty starts to show itself. Um certain programs their lack of stability really starts to show. Um I mean, you can see by all the coaches that have already been fired and all the other coaches that have already been talked about getting fired. So, three picks that I have that are kind of in that realm or not even just getting fired, just coaches where it's like they might not be there next year. Uh Brett hit on two of them. I've got Uh, I really like Notre Dame minus three and a half against UNC. I don't think Max getting fired by any means, but I think uh, things just aren't really going well there, at least from a on field standpoint. I mean, they're still recruiting well; they got Zach Rice, but like, I think eventually if I'm in the UNC athletic department, I'm realizing that that's all kind of smoke and mirrors and if it doesn't mean anything on the field. And so I think Mac at this point, um, I think the game's gotten past him and I think I see I am officially predicting that Mac Brown will retire at the end of the year. Um, I think that there's just a lot of instability there and I see Notre Dame capitalizing on that. Moreover, Georgia minus 14 against Florida. Look at Florida right now if they're four and three if Georgia beats them as handily as I think they will, they'll be four and four. with Dan Mullen there, he hasn't really gotten over that hump. if they're four and four, you know, then they're they basically have to win their next four just to have a respectable eight and four record. I don't know, man. I think those murmurs are starting to happen that Dan Mullen might be on the hot seat. So I like Georgia more stable.
1: Yep. And go sorry, ahead. I was just say I will say make a comment about Dan Mullen. You go ahead.
3: Oh yeah, you know Dan Mullen. You'd look good in maroon and orange. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh last but not least ohio state minus 18 and a half against penn state penn state i think that that loss is a that's a colossal meltdown loss to illinois i was just saying off air that i think that penn state's loss to illinois might be the worst loss that any football team in college has had this season they went nine overtimes there were 10 two-point conversions in a row in which no one scored and they did this against illinois like that's that's just awful Uh, I think James Franklin is already looking to move to California or Louisiana. I don't think he's going to be interested anymore. Ohio State's a better football team. Give me the Buckeyes, minus 18 and a half. All
2: right, two things. Nobody looks forward to moving to Louisiana. Two, the only way Dan Mullen looks better, Maroon Orange, if you bury him in a pile of leaves in the fall. So there is no way that either one of those are true. So I'm going to go into my card. Just please let anybody who's listening to this program will each of those scenarios not into existence. But um, you're looking at this, you think of last week. And overall, um, the things that stood out to me was the number one fact that Wake Forest is not going to lose to Duke. And not only that, they're going to beat them by like 45 touchdowns. Um, Duke is really, really bad. Wake Forest is really, really good. The spread is minus 16 and a half. Like it's you. at Wake Forest between Duke. I don't think that even matters because nobody cares. But in terms of gentlemen's North Carolina football, uh, this is a battle between one team that is good at it and one team that is not good at it. I think Wake Forest wins this by a lot of touchdowns. So take Wake Forest minus 16.5 uh, minus 110 is the overall value on that. Um, another game out west, if you're willing to stay up and watch terrible football, Arizona at USC. As the consummate Trojan, I guess, program follower and subject matter expert on bad Pac-12 football for this podcast, this game comes down to one thing and one thing only. If Jackson Dart starts for the Trojans, take the Trojans. If Jackson Dart does not start for the Trojans, take Arizona. And trust me, taking Arizona right now is like taking UConn. They are awful. But. 21 points is a lot of points. So right now that's a bet against it. Anything other than having Jackson Dart leave the Trojans out on the football field is a fact that this USC program is in shambles, but they're in the middle of a coaching search, So that pain hopefully will end soon. Sam, Chris, you look at something I,
0: I bet against Arizona last week and I didn't win it. I had a minus 17 and a half and they lost by 14. To who? Washington,
2: and here's the thing: USC under Keenan Slovis, who just fired Graham Harrell as their offense coordinator, this program is a wreck right now. They don't know what they are. They have no preparation going week to week. So the only thing that could have the Trojans covering 21 points, three touchdowns, is by having Jackson Dart, Braveheart himself, the William Wallace of football, who does the single eye black over his eyeball. The only way that they cover three touchdowns is by having him on the football field. If not, and you look at the pregame reports and he's not starting, then take the, take the, was it the Wildcats bear down? Bear down with the, the Wildcats. Cats, yep. yep. But I do not recommend that strategy because they are bad. Um, moving on real quick, and and Sam, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Steve Adazio, not a good football coach. Boise nope. State, minus two and a half right there against Colorado State. They don't know how to kick field goals and touch the football, gonna be down the, uh, excuse me, spike the snap in order to set up a field goal. Um, so minus two and a half at Colorado State, give me uh, the Boise State uh, program there. And then finally, we learned from last week Utah, not the Utah of old. UCLA came really close. They basically had their quarterback go down in the final minute of that game. They could have come back and actually won that game outright last week. Um, so UCLA is a better football game. They are plus 6.5 on the road at Utah. I don't think Utah is very good. Give me the better overall program. Give me the Bruins to cover that spread.
0: I like it, fellas. I like it. Well, week if, you nine. Can't, if you
2: can't bet on bad West coast football, what can you bet on?
0: Look, and we're at the point now <laughs> where we got four Mac matchups on Tuesday and then two more on Wednesday next week you better get crazy make your units now this week because they're all going down the drain next week unless unless you do your research can maybe find something out it's a battle between sunbelt and and football
2: that starts i think what they get, they're going to play a tuesday at 9:30 in the morning at this point if the espn contract speaks to it well so you're going to have football from Basically, the very beginning of the week, Manic Monday is now going to be Manic Maction and it's going to go all throughout the week. So you're 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 welcome, America.
3: Love it. Can't wait. Add on the NFL and you have seven days of football. My wife
0: is pissed. <laughs> she loves you for who you are. She supports me in all my hobbies. All right. Well, guys. If you want to be supportive of us or let us be supportive of you, hit us up with your cards on Twitter. That's it for week nine of the locks of Saturday. See you guys next week.
3: Go Hokies.